Well, every year I have the privilege of asking God who we should have to speak at our Father's Day. And uh, this year I was on a website where I often get speakers from. They are excellent individuals. And uh, this one gentleman's story just kind of caught my attention. And so I began the process of talking to see if he'd be able to make it here. And you know, it's wonderful. Uh, we're here and uh, we don't got to travel very far today. But it always amazes me when someone is willing to leave their home and to fly all the way across the country from California to Oshawa to be with us for less than 24 hours. He came in last night at around 4 o'clock and he's getting on a plane this afternoon to head home. And I'm glad that he lives on the West Coast because that means he will, by the time he gets home, spend some time with his wife and his four kids, which is awesome. But uh, it's always amazing that people are willing to do that. But when you hear what God has done in his life, you'll understand why he's willing to make those sacrifices because it's not a big sacrifice. And uh, I'm not going to tell you too much of his story other than when Tim Riley was a young man, he had a very turbulent childhood, which he's going to share with you, which made him a very angry person, very antagonistic towards Christians. Just the perfect person to have come speak to us today in a room. But this is what's so cool about God. God is powerful and he can transform lives. Lives that are going in a completely wrong direction, heading with no purpose, destroying many other people's lives. God, with his power, can transform lives. And you'll hear the transformation that happened in Tim's, uh, as he shares his story with you this morning. And we're so glad to have him here with us. He currently is a pastor at Morgan Hill Bible Church in California, where he's the pastor of evangelism and discipleship. And then if that's not busy enough, on the side, he uh, leads a ministry called Compelled, where he goes around, bless you, where he goes around North America and he equips churches with how to share this amazing love of God that can transform lives. And as you listen to his story this morning, you will find the details very fascinating. But my challenge to you this morning is as you listen to his story, I want you to look for how God was writing his story in Tim's life. And that's the good news, is that God is still writing stories. And today, he may want to write a story in your life. So as you hear the details of Tim's life, understand that God was over it all, writing his story in his life. So can we give a warm, he's married to his best friend, Aaron. They have four children. Let's give a warm Oshawa welcome to Tim Riley. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Oh, it is good to be here. I like Canada better than America. Don't tell them. Oh, it is good here. Hallelujah and amen. So here's some ground rules. Some of you have uh, maybe never been to church before. You got dragged here. We're so excited you're here. Um, or maybe this is the first time in a long time. Here, here's some ground rules. Here's what I'm going to ask of you. If I say something good, something that you're like, oh, that was good. Here, here's what you say. I'm, I'm Baptist, all right? So you need to say this to me. If I say something good, you need to say amen, all right? So let's practice. You ready? I said something good? Amen. Come on. Come on. We don't just worship bacon and cars. All right, good. And so, but if I say something you don't like, here's what I want you to say. Amen. You guys ready? I want us to be a people that are actually having a conversation today. As we open God's word, as I share my story with you, I'd hope that we would meet with God today. And so would you, if you have a Bible app or a paper Bible, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? For those of you who aren't really familiar where it is, it's right in the middle, go to the right, it's before 2 Corinthians, and it's way before Revelation. That's all I'm going to give you, all right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
And as you turn there, here's what I would like to do. I'd like to share my story with you, as Kelvin was talking about. I'd love to share who I am, because I think often we don't necessarily trust the message until we trust the messenger. And so I was born in 1980, don't judge me, I was born to a father who was 44, a mom who was 29. I was a midlife crisis, it was either a Corvette or me. And so they had me, and by the time I was 11 months old, they had already divorced. When I was three and a half years of age, my dad went to go pick me up from my mom's house, and on the door there was a note that said, I've taken Tim, you're never going to see him again. And my mom took me to this little town in Nebraska called uh, Franklin, Nebraska, And over the next year, she changed my name. She told me my father was dead. And for the next year, my father started looking for me. And before Twitter and Facebook, young people, there was a time, before Twitter and Facebook, when a child would be abducted, where would they be put? On a milk carton. Milk carton. So here's my claim to fame. I was the second kid ever on a milk carton. So we have it. That was me, which is really weird, because that's exactly what my son looks like now. So strange. Except he has better hair. and so, so my mom kidnapped me, my dad went on Good Morning America, the Today Show, all these different talk shows, trying to get my picture out there so someone might see me, and eventually the FBI got a phone call that I was living in Franklin, Nebraska with my mom, and my dad came and picked me up. And then I went back to Southern California where I grew up, and in that time, my mother attempted to, she went to prison and she attempted to kill herself while in prison, and she failed. I got to see her more regularly when I was about the age of seven. And then when I turned eight, my mom developed cancer, and pretty rapidly and quickly, she died. Now, here's the thing. If God was real at this point, I didn't like him, and I figured he hated me, and so I wanted nothing to do with him. So from the age of eight, when my mom passed away, to the time that I was uh, later on in my life, I wanted nothing to do with God. And in fact, I would argue with people who would try to talk about Jesus to me. I'll fast forward. I did some stupid things in middle school. You can Google it, but I did some dumb things. But then in high school... In high school, I had these really annoying Christians come and try to talk to me about Jesus, and I would just argue with them. And I would say stuff like, if God's real, how could he let my mom die when I was so young? If God's real, why would he send people to hell? And I would throw these questions at them, not understanding at all who God is and how loving he is. And a lot of these Christians, they didn't truly have faith, I don't believe, but some of these Christians decided to walk away from their faith. Now, here's God's goodness. Uh, Since then, uh, out of the three that I talked out of their faith, I've baptized two back in the faith. Hallelujah and amen. God is so hilarious. And so, so I'm in high school. I want nothing to do with Jesus. And do we have high schoolers in this room at all? Any high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, young men, don't do this, all right? We have proms where I'm from and the senior prom. And so I went to the prom with one girl and I left with another girl. Don't do that. (laughs) But lo and behold, that's N-A-S-B, lo and behold, she was a Christian. And she started inviting me to church. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no way, no way. And some of you have said that before and now you're here. Um, but I was like, no way. And so I would sit in the back. If you're in the back row, would you raise your hand? Cheap seats. Back row. That's where I would sit. Arms crossed. And the preacher, it was a Portuguese passionate preacher who hit his pulpit and he would get after it. And every single time he would preach, he would come up to me before he would preach and he would try to talk to me about sports. Now I'm not going to tell you who I like because you'll judge me, but uh, he, he, I, I love baseball and my son's name's Boston. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, I met my first Blue Jays fan ever yesterday. It was fantastic. It's like, they still make you? Praise God. Anyway. <laughs> so every week he would try to talk to me. And then eventually, it was awesome. He came to me with his Bible and he said, Tim, I know you don't believe in this, but how would you like to at least find out what you don't believe? And I was like, I'm going to talk this pastor out of his faith fail. And so he and I would sit down and we would study. And here's the truth. He didn't have the best answers. Hear me. I would ask tough questions. He didn't give me the best answers. But you know what he did? He loved me. And he modeled Jesus in front of me. And he pointed me back to Christ. So I was doing this for a while. And then I really wanted this car. All right. I was 18. Really wanted this car. Didn't have enough money to pay for it cash. Couldn't really finance it because I was 18. And so my girlfriend's dad at the time said, hey, I'll pay for it. You just pay me back. Zero percent interest. All right. Now, here's what it was. Some of you are going to be like, but this car was sweet. It was a, you ready? 93 and a half twin turbo Toyota Supra target top six speed with 18 pounds of boost, 650 horses. What? Like, this is a place I can share that, even though you guys are like imports. So... I didn't make the fart noise in, in front of the pulpit. Don't tell Rick. Um, <clears throat> but, but here's the thing. I bought this car, and six days after I bought it, I was jumping on the freeway, and there was light rain. <laughs> You've heard the story. And as I jump on the freeway, the back tires start to spin, and my car starts to do this, and I start to spin on the freeway in the middle of traffic across four lanes. And I remember this guy in this green Ford Explorer. I re- actually, it was Mercury Mountaineer. I'm sorry. And he was in this Mercury Mountaineer. And as he saw me, he looks at me. And this is what he did. He goes. <laughs> and I crashed into the median. And I figured I was going to get hit by these cars. And I look up, and all the cars are stopped. And the car is destroyed, but the driver's seat's totally fine. <laughs> I get out of the car. My girlfriend and one of my good friends who was a mechanic come to me. And they say to me, they go, Tim, you're so blessed. And I was like, nah, I'm lucky. Stupid. And so, so I walked away from that. Well, here was the tough thing. I didn't have the correct insurance on the car. <laughs> so I owed my girlfriend's dad the money back. And so I had this other car, and I would drive that around. And I was working, but I couldn't afford to pay rent and pay him back. So this family said, why don't you come live with us? I moved in with their family, and every meal, every meal that we would have together, they'd pray before the meal. You know, prayer when you don't believe, you're like, whatever, what are you doing? You know, but I would do that. And then they'd take the food away after we'd eat, and my girlfriend's dad and I would talk about who Jesus is. And I want to tell you, it's not that he had great answers. It's that he modeled Jesus in front of me and loved me and pointed me towards Christ. So fast forward a few months, I'm living there, I'm paying him back for the car, and then my girlfriend decides to break up with me. And I thought, well, that's going to be super awkward if I'm still living in the house. (laughs) So I should probably move. And this was in Northern California. I had moved when I was in high school or right before high school. And so I'm in Northern California, right by Google, right by Facebook, right by that kind of stuff, Apple. And I'm there. And I was about to move back down to Southern California. I was going to go to college, to a different college. And I was like, all right, I'm going to move. And my best friend calls me and goes, hey, we don't want you to move. Come stay with us for free. Come live with me and my family. The price was right. I was like, all right. So I move in with them. And here's the weird thing. I'm an atheist at this point. My girlfriend's broken up with me. There's no reason for me to continue to go to church. 
but I still did. I'd go to first service, not second, because I didn't want to run into her, right? And I would sit in the back row still by myself, back row, raise your hands, you guys, yeah, right there. And they, and then June 13th comes, and the worship pastor is leading worship, and this beautiful blonde, who I eventually ended up marrying, is standing next to him, and they're singing, I'm about to date myself, they were singing Shout to the Lord. (laughs) Two chords, anyway. And they're singing this song, in the middle of the song, I just felt like God put his arm around me. And he said, Tim, I've got you. Not like Morgan Freeman voice, but like an impression. <laughs> and I walked up to Aaron, that blonde on the stage, and I walked up to her and I said, Aaron, I don't exactly know what happened, but in the middle of that song, I felt like God put his arm around me and he said, I've got you. And she started to cry. I was like, why are you crying? She goes, you gave your life to Jesus. I said, I did what now? The very next week, I got baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the very next day, I started a young adult Bible study. Now, let me help you if you're not uh, part of the church. Maybe you're checking this thing out. Whenever you're asked a question, here's the right answer, Jesus. It's pretty much always the right answer. Like, who wrote that? Jesus, kind of, through Matthew? Okay. So, so. I started to lead a Bible study, and the first Bible study we did was Isaiah 53, where guess who it talks about? Jesus. And so, so I led this Bible study, and either in God's uh, grace or wrath, he decided to grow this young adult Bible study. We went from six to eight to 12 to 16 to 34 to 50 to 100 in a couple months. And I was like, Jesus? Like, I didn't know anything. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, just for time's sake, and, and I want to go check out more cars, if I'm honest, um, I, I won't share with you all that happened, but some drama happened in the church. I know that doesn't happen in Canada, but in America, we got drama. And so, so some drama happened in the church. We decided to leave that church, and we started to go to another church, me and that blonde who I started to date. And then eventually, her and I got married. And then we decided, after we got married, we're trying to buy a house in California. It's so stupid. Um, um, so expensive, but we decided to move out of the Bay Area, and we're going to move kind of to the Valley, and you guys may or may not be familiar with this area, but it's like the Modesto area, okay? So uh, there was a movie that had Harrison Ford in it when, in like 1972. You guys know what movie I'm talking about? He was driving a car. Never mind. All right, and yeah, sorry, squirrel. The movie will come to me, and then I'll say it. It'll be totally inappropriate um, at the wrong time. So, so I, we move out by Modesto to this town that I never name, but I can name it because you guys won't know the area. It's called Patterson. It's right below hell. And we lived there for about four years. And in that time that we lived there, I gained about 65 pounds. I stopped going to church. We started to have kids, I stopped leading my wife, I didn't invest in my kids, I got addicted to some things on the internet I shouldn't have been addicted to, and I became a terrible husband, a terrible father. And God, God allowed me to go through this desert. And then one day as our house and what it was worth plummeted and we decided to move back to the Bay Area, we go to move back to the Bay Area and we start going to this church. And let me be honest, you guys don't have this problem, but here's what I tell churches in the Bay Area. Um, We went to this church, and to be honest, we didn't really like it, but our kids did, so we were stuck. Anyone? Don't raise your hand. Um, And we start going to this church, 
and they, amen, hallelujah. Um, we start going to this church, and while we're going to this church, one of the pastors comes to me and says, hey, we haven't had a young adult Bible study or a group in 20 years. How would you like to start one? And without any prayer, just pride, I was like, yeah, I can do that. And so we were scheduled, I was going to speak for the first time in four years on October 13th. And we're going to start this young adult Bible study. And on October 12th, I went for a two and a half hour bike ride. That's how I lost some of my weight. And I go for this bike ride and I come home. And as I walk in, I see my wife and I was asking her, hey, where's Reagan, our oldest, who was two and a half at the time? And she says, well, she's in her room. And so my, I said to my wife, can you go get her? My wife walks down the hall. And as she walks down the hall, all I hear from my wife as she looks into my daughter's room is, ah! And from that, ah! I thought my daughter was dead. I ran down the hall, turned the corner, and I look, and I see my daughter with a blanket over her head. She's convulsing. I grab the blanket, pull it off of her head. Her eyes are in the back of her head. She's choking on her own vomit. She has 108 temperature, and she has a seizure in front of us for 28 minutes. The paramedics come, they eventually get her to stop. And then we take her to the hospital. We take my daughter to the hospital, I think we have a, a slide possibly. And we take her to the hospital and she's just this cute little girl and she's not, she won't talk to me, she won't do anything, she, all she's doing is breathing. And I start looking on my Blackberry, that kind of dates when this was, and I'm looking on my Blackberry to see what happens if you have a 28 minute seizure and all I was reading was brain damage. And I was so fearful that there was no oxygen to my daughter's brain for that amount of time. And I'm reading, I'm reading. So here's, here's what I did. My mother-in-law brought me my Bible. And I picked up the Bible, and I just, you guys ever just open it and you start reading it? Well, guess where I went? Job. <laughs> it looks like job for some of you. So I opened the book of Job, and I'm going to really not do its, its best service, but basically God and Satan have an argument. And Job is one of God's servants, and Job says, I will trust the Lord. And Satan says, it's because he's got a good life. So if his life, if the good things in his life were taken away, he would not praise you. And God says, you can do what you want, you just can't kill him. And if you've read this book, wow, does Job go through it, doesn't he? And through it so much, he loses most of his family. He loses all the things that he has for income. All he gets to keep, this is so messed up, all he gets to keep is a bitter wife. <laughs> curse God that's what she told him yet I love in Job 1 where it says naked into this world I came naked I shall leave I s shall still continue to praise my Lord and so I read this and at 3.52 a.m. on October 13th 2009 I prayed this prayer God if you've got to take my firstborn I got to be okay with that the next morning came I didn't go to the young adult Bible study obviously just prayed over my daughter friends came brought balloons stuffed animals nothing changed Eventually, they let us take her home because they were hoping maybe she'd snap out of it. So we took her, we let her sleep at the end of our bed, the only time we let her sleep in our bed, and she's at the end of the bed, and 36 hours after the seizure, my wife and I look at the end of our bed, and we see our oldest daughter jumping up and down like nothing ever happened. She looks at us. <clears throat> She looks at us and she hears her sister Lorelai crying and she goes, she goes, Lorelai's crying, let me go get her. And she jumps off the bed, runs down the hall, sees all these stuffed animals, turns back to me and goes, Daddy, is it my birthday? <laughs> nah, baby, you don't remember the hospital? What hospital? Couldn't remember it at all. 
So fast forward nine months. I've been studying with people and telling them about Jesus. Been at coffee shops just trying to help them understand who Jesus is one-on-one. And as we're speaking and, and, and spending time together, I get this phone call on June 1st, 2010. It's from a police officer. He says, what's your relationship to Mike Riley? I said, that's my father. He said, well, I'm Phoenix PD, and I'm very sorry to let you know, but we found him dead on his bathroom floor. <laughs> Can I just be honest? I wanted to give up my faith in that moment. I wanted to shake my fist at God. Because my mind went back six months when my daughter and I were in his living room. Reagan, Reagan's dancing around, having a great time. My dad and I like to talk about two things, and both of them make people nervous. We talk about politics, and we talk about faith. And my wife would like hear us talking and just walk right out of the room, generally all the time. But my dad and I are talking about who Jesus is. And he goes, I just can't understand how you could believe in a God that, fill in the blank here, he had all the excuses. And so I started to share with my dad the proof of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive, the fact that he changes lives, the fact that he is God. And my dad puts his hand out and he says, Tim, I don't want to believe. So fast forward to when I get this phone call June 1st. And it was funny because God spoke to me again, not Morgan Freeman voice, but an impression. And he taught me two things in that moment. First, he taught me that I don't save anyone. That's not my job. There's a savior, and he's way better at it than I'll ever be. So in that moment, I realized, like, my job's not to save, praise Jesus. My job is to simply share. And I thought, oh, that's way easier. And then the other thing God taught me in that moment was this. Heaven is real. Heaven is where God is. And by definition, there is a place called, we don't like to say it, but I can say H-E double hockey sticks, right? We don't like to say it. Hell. And hell, hockey sticks, get it? That was a, never mind. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Wait for it. So heaven is where God is. Hell is the place where he's not. And in this moment, God made me realize that God is so good. That if you truly want him, church, if you truly want him, visitors, if you truly want him, people are trying not to listen but totally are, if you truly want him, God is so good he gives you what your heart desires in eternity with him, but if you don't want him, God is so good, church. He doesn't force himself on you. He doesn't make you trust him. He's so good that he's actually created a place where if you want nothing to do with him, you get what your heart desires. And in that moment, that helped reconcile for me that God was even loving and gracious and amazing in the midst of my father passing away. And so June 1st, 2010, a lot of people are like, oh, your dad died without Jesus, and I believe that he spent an eternity without him. But my dad's life and death were not in vain. You know why? Because since June 1st, 2010, I haven't shut up about Jesus. I use every opportunity across the table via uh, drinking coffee, Facebook, Twitter, Morse code, on a stage, carrier pigeon, any way that I possibly, meme or mime, um, any way that I can, I want to tell people about the fact that Jesus is alive and he's changed my life. So I'm married to my best friend, Aaron, and I have these four beautiful children, Reagan, who's nine and brilliant, Lorelai, who's seven and incredibly sweet. Evie, who is four and so beautiful, and she knows it. 
and Boston, who's my two-and-a-half-year-old who looks like he's five, going to play for Stanford. Amen. I am a pastor. I actually was a pastor in Morgan Hill, and now I'm a, a teaching pastor, soon to be a co-lead pastor in Sunnyvale in the town that I live next to called Trinity Church. And I run this ministry called Compelled where I share with others the good news and I train people on how to share their faith in an intentional, relational, and relatable way. I teach people how to disciple one-on-one and in small groups. I'm a part of Forge, which is how you guys heard about me. So last year, you guys got to hear from one of my good friends, Foster Christie. He's a speaker for Forge and also a friend, Adrian Dupre, who's probably hyped up on caffeine right now because he's got so much, so much energy but we're different speakers that speak together. And so if you want to know more about my ministry, you can check that slide that we have just talking about it at compelled.org and Forge Forward. But here's my question. Have I given you enough time to find 1 Corinthians 15? (laughs) Okay, cool. So here we go. I shared my story, but there's a specific part I left out because I wanted to end with it. What was the thing that made me realize Jesus is Lord? It wasn't just people sitting down with me and being nice. Someone came to me and said, what do you think Christianity is about? And I was like, I don't know, looking holier than thou and hanging out in a room and singing songs. And they were like, no, it's based on the resurrection of Jesus. And I remember my response when they said that. I went, Psst. He's like, no, check it out. So I started to study what other religions said about Jesus. I started to study what other people thought about Jesus. You know what the weird thing was? Every religion seemed to feel like they had to do something with Jesus. And I started to look into who he was and what he taught. And it's really easy to say Jesus is a good man or a good teacher. But that's not what the Bible says only. He says he's God. He says he's Lord. And so there was this verse. I was studying in a library. Remember what those are? I was studying in a library, and I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul the apostle, who originally was murdering Christians and then ran into Jesus alive after he had died and switched teams and started to preach and proclaim that Jesus was God. He says this, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And I thought, if I'm going to write a book to try to get you to believe in something, I'm not going to tell you how to get out of it. So all we have to do is disprove the resurrection. And so over the next nine months, I looked into it. I looked at what other religions said. I looked at what happened in Jerusalem in 33 AD and, and continuing. And eventually I came to this realization. You ready? Jesus rose. Yeah, that's good news. Because if Jesus didn't rise, this place might as well be a mall. If Jesus didn't rise, he was just a martyr. In fact, if Jesus didn't rise, he's a liar. Because he said he would rise from the dead and he proved it. He called his shot and he rose on the third day. And so this verse hijacked my eternity. Do you understand that for me, it would be intellectual suicide for me to walk away from Jesus? Not just because what I know of the resurrection, not just because I know that he rose from the dead, but because I've met with him this morning. And I know he's alive. And I know he changes lives. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And so friends, if you're in this place and you're like, I don't really like Christianity and the music and this, and you've got a ton of excuses, look into the resurrection Because if he's alive, if he is who he says that he is, you can be who he says you are, which is forgiven. And there's no better news that you can't do it yourself. But there's this epidemic in the States, and I assume that we wrestle with this here too, and it's this. It's called hardness of heart. 
And hardness of heart happens when you hear the truth of God and you ignore or disobey. We would call this desensitization, where we're hearing the same things over and over and like, oh, the Great Commission, yeah, yeah. We, in the States, we turned it into the Great Suggestion. That's what we did. Oh, that's a good idea. But people aren't doing it. And so we hear these things in John 3.16 and these, Jeremiah 29.11, these different verses that we've heard, and we become desensitized to them because we've heard them and we've ignored them and our heart is hardened just a little bit more. So let me tell you about, I, I'm, I'm hoping this reference connects. Stephen Curry. Anybody? Stephen Curry? Okay. So Wayne Gretzky? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Stephen Curry, just for those of you who are like, who? He plays for the Golden State Warriors who are going to play tonight, and they're going to hand, they're, they're going to beat the Cavs. And Stephen Curry was the MVP last year, and he's the MVP this year, and he's a really good guy unless he fouls out. Then he's not so happy. But Stephen loves Jesus, and I want to tell you about the time I had the opportunity to have coffee with Stephen Curry. Yeah. Yeah. Couple, couple years ago, before he was an MVP, before the Warriors had become dominant, we were at this place, it's called, I think you guys have places similar, similar to this, the place I'm talking about is called Santana Row, which is like this outdoor mall where everything's too expensive. Could I have some water? That'll be $9, right? Like, it's like the airport. And, and so I'm at Santana Row and I went to, Pete's Coffee is my favorite place in California, and I go and grab a black tea lemonade, Arnold Palmer, what, what? And I grab my drink, and I'm walking out of this coffee shop, and as I'm walking, I see Stephen Curry with his wife, Aisha, and their little baby girl, Riley, and they're walking. Stephen has a different cup, which rhymes with Starbucks, and he's walking towards me. And as we're walking, here's what I said to Stephen Curry. I said, hey, what's up? And he said, hey, what's up? That was the time I had coffee with Stephen Curry. Now, let's just be honest. If you met him somewhere, you ran into him at the airport, and you're like, hey, Tim Riley was talking about you. He says hi. Stefan seems like a good dude. He might go, yeah, tell him I say hi, right? But let's be honest. I don't know Stephen Curry, and he doesn't know me. And can we just be honest? And I'm talking to those of you who have kind of committed your life to attend the church every week, especially or maybe think because you're a good person in your mind that you and God are good? Can I just say that maybe you just don't actually know God? Maybe you know a lot of his stats. Maybe you know a lot of the words. Maybe you can regurgitate things that you've heard, but you come once a week to a church gathering and you say, hey, what's up to God? And that's not what we want for you. If you're in this place, we want you to know Jesus. We want you to love Jesus. Let me, let me show you an example. What's the most popular verse in the Bible? Talk back to me, theologians. No, it's not in Amos. Relax. All right, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And when we hear eternal life, here's what we think of. We think of this idea that it's heaven it's eternity with God in heaven. And you're not wrong, but you're not fully right either. And I love when there's a word in the Bible that's defined, and Jesus actually defines eternal life in John 17, 3. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Did you know that most of you know Hebrew? 
You guys know Hebrew words. There is a Hebrew word that means I know that we use, and the word is yada. So if you've ever said yada, 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 it means I know, I know, I know. And when we talk about eternal life, it means to know Jesus. Not to just say, hey, what's up? Not to just know a lot about him, but to know him. No means to experience. No means that you've experienced Jesus. In fact, the theologian Dallas Willard says, knowledge is information experience. So you can know a lot about Jesus, but unless you know him and you've experienced him, you don't, you don't really have a relationship. Here's something I say almost every time I preach. It is impossible to experience Jesus and not change. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian from the 1900s, said this, it is impossible to have your sins forgiven and be the same. And so when we trust in Jesus, here's what he does. He starts to change us from the inside out. So I want to finish with this passage, and I want to, I want to just encourage you, okay? So worship team, if you want to come on up, this is how I'm going to close. I want to take you to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most popular passages, or one of the most popular sermons of all time. And it is in Matthew 7 where Jesus is finishing his sermon, where he is closing the sermon that he's been doing. And he says in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not attend church every week? Did we not go and pray for people? Did we not give in the offering when we were convicted? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is calling us to actually experience him and know him, so much so that when he closes his sermon, I'm, I'm totally using kind of the way we do it in Christianity. There was probably someone behind Jesus making him sound spiritual, just like this, right? I just sound better when there's piano behind, right? So imagine Jesus closing this service, and he finishes with the end of it. In the end of his sermon, he says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built this house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams, streams rose and blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. Don't, don't miss this. The Greek word is an idiot. Who built his house on the sand, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And context is king, right, Bible people? And when we teach this, we start to say, well, smart Christians obey, and lukewarm Christians don't. But here's what I'm here to tell you. This is in the context of salvation. So if you know him, you do what he says. Not perfectly, but pursuing. And if you don't know him, there's evidence of your life that you don't know him because you don't treat him as Lord. You just treat him as a life insurance policy. So church, I love you enough to come out here and not see my kids on Father's Day and to come and proclaim the excellencies of he who pulled me out of the darkness and brought me into his marvelous light. And I care enough to tell you that Jesus loves you no matter what you've done, 
No matter what you come in here, whatever baggage you have, you cannot outsend the cross. The cross, Jesus Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself. And he made it so you could be made right with the Father, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has already done. And so if you come in here, I just want to ask you, I want to encourage you, don't just believe in God. Believe God at his word. Trust him. There are men and women around you that have been praying for you, that have wanted you to be here, are so excited that you're here. And some of you are thinking, some of my friends aren't here, and I'm so upset because I want them to hear this. I'm going to send them the video. Cool. But I, I trust this, that God has you in this place, hearing my voice, worshiping with the saints for a reason. Today is the day of salvation for some of us. And here's what I want us to do. Jesus, when he... When he came to earth, when his ministry was starting, he said this in Mark 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to lower the lights a little bit. Just because I'm sweating. And we're going to lower the lights a little bit. And this is an intimate opportunity with you and God. Because the word repent means to change direction means to change your mind. It actually, what I study is, it means an irreversible change of direction. So some of you have repented, changed direction, then just turned right back. And that just means you're dizzy. And God wants us to be a people that change direction and say, no matter what, Lord, I'm gonna follow you even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. So I've turned down the lights because I want this to be intimate between you and God. And I wanna call you, I wanna invite you to what Jesus invited his disciples to do, which was to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. So would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? All over, even if you're listening to me in the other room, would you close your eyes, would you bow your heads? And here's what I'm gonna ask of you. That maybe God's done something in you via this event. Maybe it's been the worship, maybe it's been a friend that you've talked to, maybe it's been this message. I don't know, but all of it is so you can understand that you can know Jesus and he can know you. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for those of you who want to make a commitment, not a decision, because decisions, we change our mind, but a commitment to repent, to change direction and to believe the good news, to trust that Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself and you're saved because of what he's done, not because of what you've done. So. If you've never done this, I'm not talking the 15th time since camp, but if you've never done this, or you've done it, but you realize that you were faking it, with everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed, here's what I wanna do, I'm gonna pray for you, but I'm gonna ask you to become bold. If that's you, if you need to repent today and trust Jesus for real, would you just stand up? Would you just stand up? All around, in the other room, there's nothing to be ashamed of. If that's you today, would you just stand up? Hallelujah. Would you stand today? Praise God. Appreciate that. Hallelujah. Nothing to be ashamed of. No eyes are on you. Eyes are closed. This is an intimate time between you and God. Anyone else before I pray? All right. Stay standing and I'll have you sit before. Father, I pray for these men and women. And I thank you, God, for their willingness to trust you on this Father's Day. I praise you for the fact that you're the one that saves us, 
that you're the Savior and you've given us the good news. So God, I pray specifically for these men and women that I see standing. I pray, God, that you would change their life so dramatically that it's obvious that it's all you. That you would change them so radically that they wouldn't be perfect, but they would be pursuing. God, I pray that these men and women would come and talk to Calvin or Jim or others that are a part of this church and tell them of the commitment that they made today, God, because this is why we do what we do. We want to see people who are lost become found. And so, God, I praise you for the fact that you've allowed sinners to repent. You've allowed people who have failed to turn around and because of repentance and because of your good news to be found not guilty. So God, I thank you for these men and women and I praise you for what you're doing. Have a seat. God, I pray for the rest of the church and I pray those of us who know you would be passionate about you and we would not keep our faith to ourselves. that we wouldn't be annoying, <laughs> but we would be ready with an answer. And so, God, we love you, and we thank you for Calvary. We thank you for the way that you have used this church to make a difference in this community, God. So, Lord, may they be the ones who minister and walk alongside these new brothers and sisters. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, as we were packing the driver's bags, uh, there's a little booklet we put in there, all about road signs. And lots of us see lots of road signs in our lives. And the message of that booklet is that God allows U-turns. You'll get fined for it if you do it in our city on certain roads. But God allows U-turns. And this morning, I praise God that for some of you, you saw the road sign and by God's grace, were able to make a U-turn. And now you're heading in a new direction. And anytime I've gone on a long road trip, I like to know the map. I like to understand where it is I'm going. And that's what we're here about as a church. We're simply here to help each other learn how to stay on the road that God is leading. And this morning, I want to encourage you, if you stood up and you made a U-turn this morning, please don't leave without coming forward and seeing myself, seeing Tim. We have a resource for you because God is taking you on a new direction, on a new journey. And the great thing is, better than Google Maps or MapQuest, He will lead you perfectly. He will lead you perfectly. He will never leave you. You'll never be alone. And so please come and see us because we want you to go home with that resource. Once again, Tim, thank you so much for coming and sharing about what God has done in your life. Before we go, I'm just going to pray and ask God's blessing upon the food. Go and have a great Father's Day. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here. And thank you that you do orchestrate U-turns in our lives. And even though a U-turn in our world is dangerous, in your world, it's the safest decision we could ever make because we are following you. And so thank you for helping people to change direction this morning. And God, I just pray that you would just bless the food that has been provided, bless the hands that have prepared it. And I pray that everything we say, do, and think today will put a big smile on your face. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you.